Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Everybody, welcome back to the Three Technique, a college football podcast that lives at the intersection of the Jimmys and the Joes and the X's and those guys. We are on the back half officially of our conference previews. Uh, it seems like we just got started, and yet we put so much work into this already. And uh, I tell you what, it's paying off so far. We're really enjoying getting to do this, and tonight. We're getting to the Big 12 preview part two, Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, and then West Virginia, the Oklahoma schools, the Kansas schools, and West Virginia uh, in this preview. Guys, how are we we feeling about this? The Big 12 seems really wide open. I think we kind of alluded to that last time out. Uh, Does this this half of the Big 12 give you guys any more kind of clairvoyance on who's going to win this division? Not. Really? Um, all three of us, we'll tease this, we'll talk fully about this here in just a little bit at the end of the episode, but all three of us picked a different champion as well yeah. for the Big 12. Um, at least all three of us picked a different combination of two teams to get to that championship game. I'm really excited to see this play out. Uh, the Big 12 is always entertaining, always a lot of fun to watch down the stretch. They also tend to backload their games just a little bit between the two marquee programs. So. Uh, we'll see a lot of ranked matchups down the stretch and should be a lot of fun to watch it play out. Yeah, I feel like last time when we talked about the Texas schools and Iowa State, I feel like we had a whole lot more sort of conversation about, you know, the teams being a little bit down, the teams kind of going downwards from what they had done previously. Uh, Now, though, we have some teams that I think are on the ascension and I think are going to be a little bit more fun to talk about in terms of the the skill players they bring back, some of the playmakers on both sides of the ball. And I'm really pumped to see uh, what happens here. Well, that first voice, of course, that you heard, Trey Reeves, the latter, Mr. Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason. And uh, together we are just thrilled to have you guys with us. As always, uh, thank you for all the love and support on social media. Tell you what, the Twitter especially is picking up a lot of steam right now. You guys love uh, kind of the the daily musings that we have over on there. Instagram, lagging a little bit behind. We'd love to fix that. So call to action per usual. If you're not already following us, head on over to at3techpod on Instagram and Twitter. Drop us a follow and let us know who your team is. If you have been following along, thank you so much for that love and support. Again, the numbers, guys, continue to grow. Uh, I'm not going to say that we're the fastest growing pod on Spotify and Apple, but 
numbers increase every single week and we really do appreciate all the engagement and appreciate the uh, the involvement the input that you guys have writing into the show as well 3techpod at gmail.com uh, we love it and it's it's been a ton of fun so without any further ado guys we previewed the texas schools and iowa state in the last big 12 pod if you have not already listened to that maybe pause this one head back over and listen to that first one. I'm sure we're going to spoil some of our thoughts there. Tonight, it's the Oklahoma and Kansas schools and West Virginia. And, you know, we've got five more schools to talk about. I really want to kind of dive into the direction that we think the Big 12 is going, maybe who we think is going to maybe assert themselves as we continue to go forward. Of course, Texas and OU on their way out, but we'll get to all that in due time. Garrett, I'm not going to give your assignment away to Trey tonight. I believe you're leading us <laughs> off with the Kansas Jayhawks tonight. No, I sure am. I figure, you know, let's start at the bottom, right? Um, no, look, Kansas not traditionally thought of as a football school, but uh, overall, Lance Leipold had some low expectations last year. Um, you know, coming out of the Les Miles era, they went 3-18 and in his stint with the Jayhawks. So Leipold took over, uh, you know, not necessarily the power program that we normally uh, think about when we talk about Kansas, but, you know, did did okay. There was a, a step in the right direction. The year before, they had went 0-9, um, and he definitely improved going 2-10. Um, look, when you go to Austin for the first time in program history and win, um, you know, there's a gutsy decision to go for two for them. That's that's points in your favor. Okay, good job, Coach Leipold. Um you know, and they did look pretty competitive in a lot of the games they played last year as well. They had Oklahoma on the ropes for three quarters. Uh, they did eventually lose by 12, but they gave them everything they could handle. Uh, they only lost to TCU by three. That was kind of a last-minute thing. Um, and then only lost to six, uh, or by six to West Virginia. So, all in all, you know, if a few things went right for his team, you know, Leipold's Jayhawks, they could have won a couple of conference games and probably would have gotten a lot more attention in the college football landscape. Uh Almost only counts, though, in horseshoes and hand grenades, so Leipold will not be able to settle for a single win against the Longhorns as what they're doing in conference play. Uh, he knows that things need to get better, and he's going to have his work cut out for him to make that happen. So starting on offense, the offense last year was not particularly good, but it did perform better on the back half of the schedule. They only scored 20.8 points per game. That ranked them 11th in the nation. However, they exploded for 57 in that win against Texas. Yes, overtime, but they scored a whole lot of points. And then they did score 28 in consecutive games to end the year as well. Uh, they did put up 33 in a loss to Duke earlier in the year. They managed to get to 23 against Oklahoma. So, you know, there was there were moments for this Kansas offense. Uh, overall, pretty up and down. Needs to find a way to be a lot more consistent this year in their execution. Uh, Jalen Daniels was a big reason for the success that they had on the field. He only played six games, but he put up 860 yards on nearly 70% completions and had 10 total touchdowns and only three turnovers. Not, you know, gaudy numbers by any means, but that completion percentage is really good, and he should be the favorite to return at the quarterback spot and continue to improve with this team. The big deal for the Kansas Jayhawks was getting Devin Neal to come back to Kansas. Uh, he, as a true freshman, he rushed for 707 yards, nine total touchdowns. That was 4.5 yards per carry. There's a lot of speculation that he might transfer out, uh, but instead Kansas actually gets their star back and then get, went to the transfer portal themselves to add to the room. They went to uh, get Minnesota's leading rusher from last year, Kai Thomas. He had 824 yards and six touchdowns for them last year. 
Uh, they are getting Daniel Highshaw Jr. He comes back as a short yardage power back. He should give them some better options around the goal line to help them convert a little bit more in the red zone. Uh, overall, this running back room, much better than it was a year ago. Uh, leipold has been talking about that, and it should be more of a surprising strength for this Kansas team. Um, in terms of pass catchers, their leading receiver from last year is gone, uh, but there is some good in-game experience coming back. They're going to have Lawrence Arnold, Luke Grimm, Trevor Wilson. Uh, they combine for 25 starts between the three of them, so they definitely have some in-game experience coming back. Uh, they added another gopher, Douglas Emelian. Uh, he expects to factor into the target share a little bit uh, as well. Kansas hasn't really shown that they're going to have a number one so far uh, in terms of the practices and what they're seeing. So you're probably going to have to see either someone step up and just kind of rise above where they are right now, uh, or they're going to have to get a little bit more pedestrian numbers as they spread the targets around, right? Uh, Mason Fairchild also comes back for his senior year at the tight end spot, and he should help open up that offense along with Trevor Cardell and the cult legend slash sort of Applebee's advertising savior, Jared Casey. Uh, (laughs) Big deal for him to get that commercial off of our screens and and do his own deal, you know, catching that two-point conversion to ultimately beat the Longhorns. Uh, Biggest plus in favor of the Kansas offense is that four out of five of their offensive line comes back, only needing to replace one guard. That returning group only missed one start collectively last season. Uh, This group also only gave up 16 sacks in 12 games. That was tied for the 10th fewest in college football. Depth is a real concern here. Uh, So, you know, the Jayhawks faithful are going to have to be hoping for, you know, a healthy year up front for everyone to stay injury free. Uh, But this is a group that's familiar with each other. They know how to work as a unit, and it should only get better from here, assuming they can all stay healthy. They're going to need this offensive line to play well to help this run game get going like they're hoping and to help Jalen Daniels continue to progress as a passer. Uh, But from some relative optimism to some real cause for concern, let's flip it over to the defense. They gave up 42.2 points per game last year. That was 129th out of 130. Uh, And the advanced stats have them in the 120s basically across all the categories. There will have to be some serious improvement in a year where some of these Big 12 offenses are expected to be very, very good. Uh, On the D-line, Jayhawks secured a huge portal get in Lonnie Phillips. He was a second-team All-Mac coming over from Miami, Ohio. Um, And he should be a really big deal in helping them generate more pass rush this year. Uh, They do return Malcolm Lee with 19 starts at the other spot in the end. He's got a decent slew of uh, rotational depth as well behind him. Um, They're going to have to do a little bit better in the D-tackle. They have some depth. They have guys like Caleb Sampson, Eddie Wilson, Sam Burt, uh, Caleb Taylor, Keenan Caldwell. Um, this unit's got some experience, but they weren't particularly good at firing off the ball uh, and kind of holding their assignments. So they're going to have to get a lot more physical this year and, and sort of force some more tackles for loss. Um, I think I also saw they were dead last in stop percentage, so that's not very good either. Um, at linebacker, they paired the Ohio State transfer. He's a crazy good athlete named Craig Young, uh, and they do have returners Gavin Porter and Rich Miller. Uh, they are also going to look for guys like Taiwan Berryhill and the UCF transfer Eric Gilliard to step up and kind of add to what's going to be the strength of this defense. Uh, this is a unit that should know their assignments and sort of pick up some of the slack across the other groups. On the back end, Kenny Logan Jr. is the best player on this defense. He was uh, the Big 12 second team participant there. Should continue to have a successful career there in Lawrence. After Logan Jr., though, there is a huge drop-off, both in experience and in ability. Uh, Jacoby Bryant and OJ Burroughs are both sort of young, undersized corners who played a lot. Um, and, and they played all right, 
but they need to develop a lot more if Kansas is going to give up fewer points. Uh, they do bring in Michigan State transfer Kalon Gervin. Um, he's a great veteran presence for them, and he should kind of help some of these young guys catch up, but they're going to have a whole lot of ground to make up uh, between now and the time the season starts. All of this considered, there could be some more transfers that come in even between now and the start of the season. Uh, Leipold's been open about it, even at Big 12 Media Day, is that they love competition and they want to do everything that they can to get the best guys on the field to give them the best chances at winning. Moving into the floor ceiling, they have their over-under at two and a half. Um, All things considered, I think I'm going to go under here. Uh, Look, I think this team's going to be improved. I think there's going to be some good things going on for this team. Um, I think they're going to continue to be competitive this year. I just don't feel comfortable picking them to go any higher than three and nine. Um, maybe with like an unforeseen upset or something like that. I picked them personally to go one and 11, which I think is their floor. I don't think they lose uh, their first, but after that, I think it gets pretty ugly. Um, Their danger zone. The end of their schedule is really, really tough. Starting in week eight, they finish with at Baylor, Oklahoma state at home, and then at tech and then Texas at home, finishing off with at K state. Um, pretty rough if you ask me yeah rough could just be a general one word descriptor of the kansas football life right (laughs) um yeah i mean garrett i thought you're gonna have to start a drinking game on the number of times you mentioned that game in austin uh but it's worth (laughs) it's worth mentioning that's about um, the only good thing that happened for Kansas, it, though, last year. There, there really wasn't a lot of highlights, you know? Absolutely. They did look a lot better last year, I will say. And I they think, did look better. I think Lance Leipold, if anybody can resurrect that program and get it back to some sense of respectability, I really like his chances. If he can't do it, I, I'm not sure where you turn to next. Um, but, yeah, I mean – Rough is a great word to describe it. it it's going to be tough. It's going to be like watching paint dry at times if you're a Jayhawks fan. But, <laughs> man, I, I think they will be more exciting this year. I think you'll see start, some of those losses start to look even closer. They, they lost close games last year, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm excited to see if they can just keep steadily improving and then maybe one day, especially in this new Big 12 when – Texas and OU aren't a part of it anymore that they can, you know, threaten for a bowl game more often and maybe even take another step after that. The Jayhawk fans are dreaming of the early 2000s, right? When, I mean, they were, <laughs> they were so close to playing for a national title in what was it? 2007. Um, had they not lost to Missouri? You know, I think the, the thing that I'm most excited about, you know, Lance Leipold obviously knows how to win has done it for years uh, at, at the lower levels of, of college football, he's he's got to obviously change the culture there, and he's got to convince high school recruits that Kansas is a place to go play. What he did really well this year was he recruited the transfer portal. Kansas had the 14th-ranked transfer class uh, this year, and Garrett did a good job of running down some of them. I don't, I'm not sure if you mentioned Marvin Grant, the safety transfer from Purdue, nearly a four-star kid coming out of high school. I think, you know, if you can get some of the right pieces in there, if it, look, they've, they've got to find a way to to compete at the skill positions, right? And I, I think maybe you, you have a chance to start developing something like that. You mentioned Douglas Emilian coming over from 
uh, from Minnesota at the wide receiver position. Uh, Kai Thomas, also the you know leading rusher from last year when Mo Ibrahim went down. So you got some talented kids that are that are showing up in Lawrence now. Can Leipold kind of glue them all together? You know, what do they get out of the quarterback spot? And then yeah, that defense literally almost the worst in, in all of Division One last year. So a lot of improvements to to be seen. But you know, uh, Trey, as you're about getting ready to talk about, I guess at the end of, of this preview, West Virginia. But there's some programs that they can start knocking on the door of surpassing, and. You know, if Leipold can keep his head down, it's not like there's this lofty expectation to even make a bowl game every single year at Kansas. If you can keep getting better year in and year out, why not? Why can't Kansas compete in the new look Big 12 down yeah. the line? So, you know, I think they're an interesting program to watch. I think it's it's hard not to think that they're on the rise a little bit just because of who they've got, you know, in the captain's chair right now. Yeah, well, and to that point, I mean, you know, it's hard to predict this because you never want to predict, you know, upsets and you know trying to go oh they're definitely going to upset this team and this team and this team because I mean let's face it if Kansas is going to have a multi-win season they're going to have a lot of upsets on the schedule um they're not going to be picked to be favored in most of their games and so you know but there's a lot of teams you know maybe a TCU or a or a West Virginia maybe an Iowa State depending on how bad they can get this year and kind of how down they are and turning stuff over and things like that I mean they were competitive with Oklahoma, they beat Texas. They, you know, were competitive with TCU and West Virginia last year. A couple things go right for them. I mean, four wins, maybe even five wins. That's a huge success for that Kansas program. And I think it would get a lot of people's attention if they were able to pull something like that off. Now, I'm not picking them to do that. Um, but, you know, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. I think, uh, you know, looking at our standing previews, you know, Trey and I have them going two and ten and, Gary, you've got them at, at one and eleven. So not not uh, lofty expectations. I don't think that the win column is a measure of success for a program like right. Kansas this year. I think again, you continue to be as competitive as you can, scare the bigger programs, get it to the second half, get it to the fourth quarter with a puncher's chance. And you know, like you saw in Austin last year. I mean, Texas not an elite team last season, but still uh, not not a team that that anybody expected the Jayhawks to knock off. They yeah. could make... And on the defensive side, almost anything is improvement. I mean, again, they finished 129th out of 130. It's all up from here. They can make a little bit of noise at the beginning of the season, too, just the way their schedule sets up. Like, play FCS Tennessee Tech to open the year. They go to Morgantown. I think that's a team. I'll talk about them at the end, like Mitch said. I think that's a team that we're pretty down on. Iowa State is their next conference game, replacing a lot of talent. TCU with a new coach, I mean... You know, would I pick them to win any of those games in a vacuum? Probably not. But could they get one of those three? I I like their chances to maybe get one of those three to, to open the year. So, I don't know. We'll see. And one last thing on Kansas is just from a program building standpoint, as long as Lance Leipold is winning, you know, two to four games a year, not going winless, you know, I think they're going to give him time. And I think they're going to yeah. let him – build there they've had a lot of turnover there in recent years so i'm excited to see what he can build there long term all right well great job on the on the jayhawks certainly a team i think to try and set some benchmarks this season and and accomplish goals outside of just those that you might find in the win column a team that is focused 
almost exclusively on the win column, though, is Kansas State. And, Trey, you've got the Wildcats preview. Gentlemen, I, I'm i not even going to tease this. We're just going to go right into it. Woo! All aboard. We are on the hype train for the Wildcats. We kind of teased it a little bit, Mitch and I did, on our uh, – spoiler episode a few weeks ago so if you want to listen to some more thoughts on kansas state jump back into that episode it's still definitely good to listen to but guys 2021 when you think about it for the wildcats it was a wild ride if you're a fan of kansas state they won their first three lost the next three they were down by multiple scores in lubbock the next week before coming back to win that game that pitched in a second half shutout they started a four-game win streak, and then they lost to Baylor in Texas by a combined 15 to end the year. But then another ride on the roller coaster. They spoil Edo's going away party by routing LSU in the Texas Bowl. Kansas State kind of has a reputation for coming down to the Texas Bowl and uh, spoiling some SEC teams' uh, fortunes down there. But, guys, Chris Kleiman, he's coming into year four, and it's looking like it can be a really big one for him. Um He's even said that this is the first time he's felt comfortable in his time there saying that they can actually compete for Big 12 titles. So he's had to learn some things. He's been open about just making that transition. Of course, he was at North Dakota State, FCS power for a long time. He said one of the things he had to learn about at Kansas State was playing from behind. He just didn't have to do that a lot at North Dakota State. But one thing's for sure, he knows how to win. He knows how to build a program. He knows how to take a program to heights that they've never been to before. So this might be the year. I think it could be the year that he finally translates to big success in the Little Apple. So I really want to see, can they take a step from being plucky to being an actual contender for this conference title? So on offense, it's all going to start there. And one thing that absolutely needs to get better in 2022 for Kansas State is their tempo. So, of course, when you think about the Big 12, you think about a lot of high-flying offenses. Kansas State was not in that category. They were dead last in the FBS in plays uh, plays they ran per game last year. They were down in the 50 to 55 range in most games. Skyler Thompson, of course, missed some time, but it can't all be attributed to that. So to fix that, they have promoted Colin Klein, of course, Wildcat legend at quarterback. He's moving up from the quarterback's coach position to the offensive coordinator position. He got his uh, tryout in that Texas Bowl, and the offense looked night and day different with him running the show. So tempo is going to be huge, but, of course, the offense is going to run through Deuce Vaughn, just like it has the last couple of seasons. Uh, he's one of the most dynamic playmakers in the country. He doesn't get the spotlight of guys like, you know, a Bijan Robinson or Devon A-Chain, but man, pound for pound, no pun intended because of his size, like he is right up there with those guys. He's only like 5'6". He plays like he's 6'5". I'm comfortable saying he's a dark horse Heisman candidate. If he can get Kansas State to the Big 12 title game, um, I definitely think he gets an invite to New York at the very least um, if he's a big part of that. Um, joining Deuce Vaughn in the backfield, uh, they went out and got probably the most experienced guy uh, south of Tanner Morgan in Adrian Martinez coming over from Nebraska. He has four years of starting experience at quarterback. And, of course, it was really up and down in Lincoln. Uh, he had amazing highs. He looked 
like a Heisman candidate at times, especially early in his career. And then there's, as any Husker fan will tell you, he just looked like he had no clue what he was doing at other times. And one thing that I'm a little confident about with him is he's going to be able to focus just on passing the ball and just on reading defenses at Kansas State. Nebraska and Scott Frost had him running all over the field. He led the Huskers in rushing attempts three years in a row. But with Deuce Vaughn running the show on the ground, um, legs are going to kind of be the complement for Martinez instead of the main package. He's going to be able to focus on throwing the ball. He needs to work on that a lot. He's got to take care of the football. He's thrown 30 interceptions in his career to uh, only 45 touchdowns. So, you know, it's a little bit up in the air, right? I'll, I'll be the first to say that, you know, Adrian Martinez is not, not the guy that's going to be flawless every single week. But I really like the talent. I actually really like the opportunity that he's going to get in this offense. And I feel like he'll be better, just in a better position to succeed um, in this offense. It looked really, really good in that Texas Bowl, um, of course, with Skylar Thompson running the show under Colin Klein. But, yeah, it, a lot remains to be seen. But I'm I'm – optimistic about Adrian Martinez this year. So um, finding a running back two is probably going to be the biggest question mark on offense for these guys. Of course, Deuce Vaughn, they feel comfortable with him being a three down back, but their top three guys behind him all transferred out. Um, Battle's still up in the air for RB2. Just want to give a quick shout out to a true fullback. Anytime we still see one of those guys in the game in 2022, we want to shout him out. So uh, Jack's Dunnan is really, really fun to watch. They move him around the formation, great blocker, second team all Big 12 last year. He actually might get a shot at that RB2 role as well. So um, over at wide receiver, they've got a pretty deep room, three of, their four, three of the top four in production from last year returning. It's an offense that really spreads the ball around. They don't really rely on one go-to receiver. Um, they spread around to running backs, tight ends. Vaughn was the number two receiver on the team last year. So not having like that go-to number one guy is not going to be as big of a problem as it would be in other offenses. So I think returning all that production is going to be plenty to work with. Uh, at tight end, like I mentioned, uh, Sammy Wheeler, he looks like he's going to be the guy to lead it. K-State, like, of course, likes to run multiple tight end sets all the time. So they're trying to find their number two. Um, looks like Ben Sanat is going to be the leader in the clubhouse there to kind of take over that second tight end role. Up front, if you need another reason to be optimistic about K-State, they've got maybe the best tackle tandem in the conference this year in Cooper Beebe and Christian Duffy. Um, Beebe is ranked as the fifth best returning tackle by Pro Football Focus, and Duffy has 20 games started under his belt, looked really solid. All three of those inside O-line positions are going to be uh, wide open in competition, though, uh, Taylor Poitier, uh, they really want him to get healthy and man one of those guard spots. They think he could be the most talented O-line on the team. They've also got a couple guys going in that could uh, take one of the tackle spots from Cooper BB. He's kind of taken an approach of, you know, I'll play wherever you need me. The biggest need right now is at left tackle. But if someone could step up at that position, it could allow him to slide inside the guard where he probably projects to as a pro. Um, over on the defensive side of the ball, if you listen to part one of the Big 12 preview, you heard us say probably like, with I think almost every team, moving to a 3-3-5 defense. Here we go. Here's another one. Uh, last year, Kansas State um, 
their defensive guys that were together at North Dakota State had run a 4-2-5 for 17 years in a row, and they switched to a 3-3-5 last year. And they only gave up more than 30 points three times. And it was in their three-game losing streak to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State in back-to-back-to-back weeks. Um, All those are kind of forgivable when you think about the offenses that those teams ran last year. But what I'm really optimistic about is they were just using base pack all week all year like their coaches are open about we couldn't install special blitz packages we couldn't install special coverage disguises because we were literally just learning this system as we went all all year last year and it led to like a top 30 defense so i'm excited to see after a year after an off season of getting to tinker and add wrinkles like could challenge for the best in the conference. I feel pretty comfortable saying that. So literally when you, is, literally when you finished a, a file on NCAA 14, our board and want to start a new one with just an entirely new scheme. Like they were winning FCS championships with the 425, and it was like, eh, you know, well, let's let's try something else out. Well, I think it kind of got exposed a little bit in that four two five in 2020. And I think it kind of scared them with the talent that they face and just sliding someone back to linebacker and getting more athletes on the field, yeah. I think is way more important in the big 12, but yeah, their pass I mean, rush did it, not get it done. No, not at all. And the, and the early returns on that three, three, five, like I said, are really, really strong. So up front in that uh, three man front, it's going to be Felix and Anudike Uzoma. And he's a reason not to change the channel when uh, the defense is on the field. So he's an elite pass rusher, 11 sacks, 14 and a half tackles for loss, and 43 pressures last year. He was the co-defensive lineman of the year. And he's joined up front by Nate Maddock. And uh, at the other end spot, Eli Huggins at nose. That's going to be a really strong first team, but depth is going to be the big concern. They're still trying to sort out their second and third team up there. Daniel Green is locked in at the Mike backer spot, and all he does is tackle. He led the team in tackles with 89 last year. Outside linebacker spots are kind of up for grabs. They're probably going to rely on Nebraska transfer Will Honus. Um, he looks really promising, but Khalil, Khalid Duke is a real wild card. He flashed a lot um, before getting injured in, I think, the third game of the year last year. But he's 6'4", 246 pounds, uh, and he can rush the pass and create havoc. The guy that they started at the position they're penciling him in last year was six foot and 190 pounds. So (laughs) God bless him. But I think we're going to get a little bit of an athletic upgrade there. Uh, But it's a really linebacker. He's huge. He's fast. And he's going to be really exciting to watch. Um, If he can cover receivers, uh, I don't see why you take him off the field. But it's a really deep room. If they need to uh, sub some people out for situational packages, they have the depth to do that. Uh, Julius Brintz and Ikao Boido, uh, they're going to man the corner spots. And that secondary was really solid last year. They were 44th in uh, pass defense. Safety looks like the biggest question mark. They had four seniors that played over 2,300 snaps combined last year. All those guys are gone, obviously. TJ Smith is the only proven returner. He had seven starts and uh, all the rest of them are going to be newcomers or unproven guys. So they dipped heavily into the portal. They've got a junior college transfer in Kobe Savage, um, a guy in Josh Haynes who played for this staff at North Dakota state as a freshman. Um, 
guy I'm really interested to see if he can make the transition to the Big 12 is um, Drake Cheatham. He is coming up from Prairie View. He was a two-time all-swack safety. And they've also got another transfer, Arizona. Uh, guy coming over from Arizona and Giovanni Carr. They're all going to compete for time. It's obviously a really important position in a pass-happy league. So getting that sorted out is probably the biggest key to their success on that side of the ball. Now, for their floor and ceiling, our bet online over under six and a half. Guys, that just seems way too low to me. Um, even if you take out, take take championship considerations aside, this program just routinely beats that line. Since Bill Snyder started his second stint in 2009, They've gone under seven and a half just four times. One of those was the COVID shortened season. One of them was Snyder's last year. And a third of those was Snyder's first year. So mm. literally one time since 2009 in a not weird year, have they gone under six and a half wins. And that year they had six wins. So I, I don't know. I think their floor is sitting really nice at seven. If you wanted to make a bet on an over under, this is not financial advice, but this one seems pretty good. <laughs> Disclaimer. Um, disclaimer. Always got to say that. But their ceiling, I think, is going to their first Big 12 title game since 2003. I think they really have that potential. If Adrian Martinez is good, Adrian, and can focus on passing and not have to run for his life, I could see it happening. I could see 10 or 11 wins and making that trip down to Arlington. Now, their danger zone. It's a soft opening to the schedule. Um, other than OU in week four, I think they could be six and one going into this stretch right here. But this stretch right here is going to define their season. Week nine, they host Oklahoma State. Following week is um, hosting Texas. And then week 11 is at Baylor. So go two and one or heck, even three and oh in that stretch. And you're punching your ticket to Arlington. Now, hang on. You said they have a soft opening to the schedule. I mean, I Missouri's did. Missouri's not like an all-world team, but what, relevant. Missouri's not relevant. They're gonna Still, beat Missouri. Beat Missouri. Well, I think they're, they're gonna beat him too. Tulane, Michael Pratt. Are we are we disrespecting no, Missouri the could not that... stop the run. Deuce Vaughn could run for three hundred yards in that game if he really wanted to. Like Listen, if he just gets the carries, probably, I, I, probably so. I'm going to go ahead and go on the record with this one though. I think Deuce Vaughn is the best running back in college football. No holds barred, not just the conference, and all of college football. Um, he is super talented. If you disagree with me, just go watch the highlights. Um, he's just fantastic. He jumps cuts. He's He runs really well behind his pads, too. Um, and so I just, I'm going to go ahead and say I think he's the best running back in the country. I do think he gets a seat in New York at the end of the season. Um, I think he will be a Heisman finalist. I'm just going to go ahead and say all that right now. And I do, like, I pick them personally to go to the Big 12 title game. Um, losing one game in the regular season. So I'm fairly comfortable saying I think Deuce Vaughn's going to have a massive year. I think the new offense is going to look really good. We saw him just torch LSU, and LSU had a pretty good defense last year. So, I mean, I feel pretty good about saying that. Um, I think they're going to tear up a bunch of this Big 12 and make a lot of noise. Who did you have them losing to? Do you remember? Um, I think they're going to lose – What? which one did I pick? I think I picked them losing against Oklahoma State in the regular season. I mean, I mean that, that's a very favorable Kansas State outlook. Trey, you've got them at ten and two, right? I've got them at nine and three, so I'm the lowest on uh, of the three of us, but still comfortably hitting that over. I, that that was my question to you. Like, 
why do you think that over under is so low? Like what does Vegas know that we don't, that we're just absolute chumps for throwing the farm on that? You tell me, because I <laughs> I can't find it. I mean, yeah. maybe there there's a lot of teams in the Big Twelve at that six and a half range yeah. at the over under. Like I think that's definitely the most common one. Well, the Big Twelve cannibalizes itself. It definitely Absolutely. does. And and look, I think a lot of people are overvaluing some teams in the Big Twelve. I also think people are factoring uh, Martinez into that decision as well just because sure. he wasn't very good at Nebraska. But I think that has a lot more to do with Nebraska and the scheme that they ran <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> what his actual skill level is. I think there's a reason they brought him in. It is. It, it does feel funny saying he's getting an upgraded offensive line going from Nebraska to Kansas State. But, mm-hmm. I mean, all evidence certainly seems to point – to that sure they've got some holes to, to figure out and, and and you know pick the best five but you know i mean it's not just us that's high on kansas state you listen to big 12 media days you listen to you know sirius xm or, or what have you everyone's kind of high on kansas state so i wonder if maybe you know maybe it's it's one of those classic just like overestimation stations where we're all gonna miss the boat on kansas state but it, it, it doesn't feel like it like I let off the show by saying, we talked last episode too, this conference is so wide open. You know, we've, we've got those teams that we kind of expect to, to go 10-2 and, and make it to the conference title game, although evidently we've all got different conference champions. But I, I think that's just further evidence that really there's four or five teams that could certainly be in the mix this year. Yeah, and I just confirmed it. I looked it up really quick. They're still sitting at six and a half, so... Yeah. Deuce Vaughn is also sitting at 101 to 100 to one to win the Heisman. So I feel uh, I gotta make about that, Garrett. You may be uh, just uh, I gotta a make a trip out that. of state, man. Yeah, wink, <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. If if you you know that's your thing, throwing some hard earned American currency on uh, on a line. I tell you what, six and a half is the over under. I, I, you're right. I can't really create a scenario outside of just injuries devastating everybody. Where yeah, they don't if, Deuce, seven wins. if Deuce Vaughn gets hurt against South Dakota, then all bets are off, right? And that's the risk yeah. that you run betting and over. But if everyone stays on the betting, kids. I mean, look, if if a meteor strikes Manhattan, Kansas, they won't win six games. But, like, I don't see a way, even with that, I don't see a way that you can get them to six losses on this schedule. I just don't see six losses here. How about the coaching power in the state of Kansas? I mean, Kansas – not going to win like Kansas State might, but Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman, very, very underrated coaching duo in, in the Sunflower State. At least I think so. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah. Chris Kleiman, I, I think he could eventually have a really big-time job if he wants to leave Kansas State. Don't know that he wants to, but if a big program comes calling, they're going to get a good guy. Yeah, uh, he was he was thrilled. He was thrilled to get that Kansas State job. So yeah. who knows how how long in the tooth he is for uh, for Manhattan? All right. Well, so Kansas and Kansas State previewed. I've got my lone preview tonight, so I really get to go to, to school basically this evening, which is is never a bad thing. But I've got Oklahoma. Um, first question for you guys: Was there a bigger reality TV show in college football last season? Uh, than the o- Oklahoma Sooners. I mean, it was... The it was Texas terrible. Longhorns. Well, okay, listen. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, the, the five and seven aside, but with everything that went on, and I think, you know, the brisket, I think was two years ago, but still you, you have so many things happening in Norman last year. Preseason Heisman favorite Spencer Rattler was struggling out of the gate, barely avoided losses to Tulane, Nebraska, West Virginia, Kansas State. Kansas scared them later on, although uh, Caleb Williams is the quarterback by that point. Specifically against Kansas State, Spencer's having to endure chance the entire game of Caleb Williams raining down from the student section. Then they fall down big to Texas, right? Stay Famous classy, team. Norman. Sorry? Stay classy, Norman. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, listen, that's uh, that's what happens when you have a five-star freshman waiting behind him. Um, Texas, they, they go down 28-7. That game is all but over at the half. Sooners make the change at quarterback. They go with Caleb Williams in the second half, and, and Caleb just storms back, right? Leads this Herculean effort, the top of the Longhorn. Spencer Rattler, uh, also famously not in the team picture after the game as, as the Sooners are all posing with, uh, with the cowboy hat. He's gone to the locker rooms, taken an early shower. Uh, so Caleb then gets to lock in as the starting quarterback for the rest of the year. Then there's Lincoln Riley. He pulls a sneaky. He takes his dried brisket out to USC just hours after losing to Oklahoma State, um, literally hours after looking reporters in the eye and saying, I'm not taking the job in Baton Rouge. And, I mean, to his credit, he was not. He did not he go did to not take the job in Baton Rouge. Uh, evidently, there was a catering company that was extremely disappointed. He was not wearing yellow and, and purple the next day. Um so all of that happens. You have a wave of decommits from the 2023 class, from uh, the 2022 class, some of the late signees, and even from some 2024 guys. Wave of transfers out. And after all of that, the Sooners might have had the weirdest 11-2 season ever. I, you know, there's so much talk about the Buckeyes not – exceeding expectations and oh my goodness we didn't win the big 10 and the rose bowl who cares anymore it's a it's a failed season up here in columbus like ryan day said that either this afternoon at big 10 media days or yesterday saying oh yeah that was we just fell so short of our expectations so in the same vein oklahoma fans felt like they were slighted similarly uh overarching theme for 2022 and new head coach brent venables who comes in from clemson is replacing production. And this is going to be just the massive, I mean, the theme that we track all season long with Oklahoma is look, they lost everybody from last year's team. Either they graduated, went to the draft, or just left the program. So what does Venables do? They've lost their top four receivers. All four scholarship quarterbacks that were on the roster last year, gone. 70% of defensive production from last season, gone. Absolute uphill climb there in Norman for the Sooners. But as we keep saying, it's a wide open Big 12. So I think uh, as, as we get through this, you're going to see that the opportunities for Oklahoma to even win the Big 12 again are certainly there. Let's start with the offense. Jeff Lebby comes in. He's the new offensive coordinator. And his goal from day one has been to turn up the tempo on this OU offense. Previously, he's been at Baylor, Central Florida, Ole Miss. And Lebby is famous for being able to put up a lot of points in a very short amount of time. Uh, Lebby saw basically his, his chance to flip 
what he figured as his cornerstone quarterback from UCLA as soon as he got the job in Oklahoma. Made a call to Dylan Gabriel, who had transferred from UCF, where Levy was, uh, commits to UCLA. Levy gets on the horn with him after Caleb Williams makes it official going to USC and says, hey, come be my quarterback. So Gabriel flips his commit to OU. Uh, and, you know, it's been kind of Bonnie and Clyde from, from all reports. They are loving getting to install this new offense, a fresh start with the Sooners. Um, Gabriel's a gunslinger. Plain and simple, he looked destined for success at Central Florida, but kind of stupidly got hurt on his last play, on the last play of the game against Louisville. It was a Thursday night game, you know, running for his life. Nobody blocked for him on the final play, and I can't remember if he broke his collarbone or what exactly happened, but got pancaked. And, you know, Louisville rushes the field, and there's Dylan Gabriel kind of having to be scraped off the turf. You look at the backfield, it's featuring former Tennessee transfer Eric Gray, who, man, if you remember back to his recruitment and early days at Tennessee, was supposed to be the Messiah there for, for Tennessee. Uh, that didn't happen. He's obviously now wearing uh, wearing Sooner Red. Fourth-year junior Marcus Major is also in the backfield, also another Ballyhooed uh, commit to the Sooners. Major only has 60 carries in four seasons in Oklahoma. He's been hurt basically his entire career. So talent level is through the roof, but he's just never been able to stay on the field. They also bring in two top 10 running backs from the 2022 class in Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuck. So a stable that's that's very talented, like I said, highly recruited, uh, a lot of big names in that backfield. Now the question is who's, who's going to stay healthy and who's going to separate themselves. Out wide, Maybe one of the most talented receiving cores in the country. At least I've seen people trumpeting that. Uh, really could be scary. They've got Marvin Mims coming back. Theo Weiss also coming back and leading the charge. Drake Stoops was captain reliable last season for the Sooners. He's back for one more scooter ride. And then they've added Mizzou transfer J.J. Hester and Arizona State transfer L.V. Bunk- Bunkley Shelton for added depth. I'll tell you what, if there's one school that's been mentioned just more than anything else, in all of these previews, it is Arizona State. Their kids are just sprinkled far and wide across the country uh, as that program continues to melt down. But that's an aside. Pac-12 previews coming uh, coming shortly. Uh, they did lose Austin Stogner to South Carolina. He followed Spencer Rattler uh, to the Gamecocks as, as well, so they lost their best tight end. But from everything that the Sooner message boards and, and Insiders are saying they think Braden Willis is is next up. A, a great combination of speed and size uh, and the ability to catch the football. So tight end should be just fine for the Sooners as well. The biggest questions around the O-line, they lost two stalwarts in Marquise Hayes and Tyrese Robinson last season, but they brought in transfers from Tennessee and California to help with that. Massive amount of talent on the roster. Uh, you know, Lincoln Riley was, was recruiting at, at – one of the highest levels in Oklahoma history, but they were so senior laden for the last couple of years and with transfers leaving the program, it's really kind of like, all right, who's left in the room right now? So a lot of talent on the roster, but at least early doors before fall camp, the the right combination of the five, you'll see guesses out there, but nobody is, is really kind of matching up and, and having any confidence in those picks right now. So offensive line, certainly a concern for the Sooners. Defensively, 
their head coach is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Brent Venables is known for his championship-level defenses, won several at Clemson multiple times, fielded a top-three defense in the country uh, when he was out with the Tigers. OU, on the other side of the coin, not known for their defense. They haven't played great defense in a really long time. So the hope is that Venables comes in and, and kind of turns the tide there. It's not likely to change this season, at least all that drastically, which is why I have my questions about the Sooners. But the future probably brighter than it ever was under Alex Grinch, who, you know, he's he's at USC now for years before he finally left with Lincoln Riley to go to USC. OU fans wanted to run him out of town. Nobody was happy with how Alex Grinch was playing. A lot of them blamed their playoff losses on Grinch. Uh, just not not a marriage that was set to, to stand the test of time there. Um, you look at uh, also who he brought in over from Clemson in his defensive line coach, Todd Bates, one of the biggest names in defensive coaching, and now he's got the Sooners at, at his beck and call. It's going to be a whole new wave of starters, as I mentioned, for Oklahoma, but they feel good about where they are in the trenches. You look at guys like Reggie Grimes, Ethan Downs. They're both solid, uh, solid talents who have emerged as leaders off the edge. Jeffrey Johnson is the man who's going to be tasked with replacing Perrion Winfrey inside, which is certainly no small feat. A guy that went uh, relatively highly in the draft last season. Some estimates had him even going as a first-round pick. Uh, At linebacker, they've got probably their most experience, and this is where you're going to see guys like Deshaun White, David Ugwegbu, which, goodness, that makes me feel old. I remember covering Ugwegbu's recruitment when he was choosing between Texas A&M and Oklahoma. They also bring in stud Appalachian State transfer linebacker T.D. Roof. He was one of the leading tacklers in the Sun Belt Conference basically his entire career at Appalachian State, and now he gets a chance to play on a much bigger national stage. I love that pickup for OU. They also have a guy like freshman Kobe McKenzie, absolute physical freak. I called a couple of his high school playoff games. The guy was a man amongst boys running out there for Lubbock Cooper, so – Oklahoma gets him. He really could push for playing time as a true freshman. He's that fast off the edge. I think he's going to be really, really talented. Secondary, big-time question. Just like the offensive line was an issue on that side of the ball, the secondary is all question marks. They've got juniors Woody Washington and DJ Graham, who are probably the leaders out wide. They, They had their moments as sophomores, but both have missed a lot of time due to injury. Transfers coming in from Wyoming and Louisville have joined the room, but again, no one has really claimed the job. Spring ball did not go super well for the Oklahoma secondary, and so they're hoping to be a little bit more confident after fall camp. Safety, they've got Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman. Those are two super talents coming over to replace the likes of, of Turner Yell and Patrick Fields the Sooner starters from a year ago. They were the guys that were relied on to captain that secondary, and they're both gone. So you know, Key Lawrence, Billy Bowman, big-time recruits. Billy was a big-time recruit from just down the road up in Denton, Texas, uh, played for a state champion um, with the, the Ryan Raiders. What do they do now that they're relied on to be to be the, the big boys on campus? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Trey Morrison also comes in from, from UNC to handle that nickel spot. He, he – could end up playing some safety by necessity. He had 41 starts over his career with the Tar Heels, so a good pickup again uh, for Venables. And then, you know, kind of fun fact, which isn't so fun for Oklahoma fans, the Sooners had one of the worst pass defenses in the country last year. They finished in the bottom 
20 teams nationally in almost every single defensive metric when it came to their secondary. So, yes, they're losing a ton. Could be addition by subtraction, though, just depending on how things play out this year for, for the Sooners. But bottom line, they've got to get better if they truly want to kind of return to national title contention. On the flip side, the fact that they went 11-2 and two and couldn't couldn't swat a, a bloody nose in the secondary, I think is, is pretty encouraging for Oklahoma fans. Their floor and ceiling, the over-under, again, set by Bet Online, not a sponsor, could be. I think this is the perfect line. It's at 9.5. I'm going to go over and say they get to 10-2. and two. I think you guys are going over as well. I personally don't think the Sooners do much more than that. I, I just have too many questions. Very similarly to what Trey outlined with Baylor, I don't feel confident saying they're going to get anything more than 10-2, and two, and, and likely I could very easily see them going 8-4, and 9-3 and three if the cookie crumbles that way. Floor, I, like I said, I'm, I'm going to say 8-4, and four, scrappy year one. Maybe they don't find some of the puzzle pieces they need and, and they get pushed around a little bit by some of these hot offenses. Uh, the danger zone for the Sooners. Tough little stretch to finish out the season. Week 10 versus Baylor. Week 11 at West Virginia, which who knows what the nears are going to be. Week 12, Bedlam versus Oklahoma State in a revenge game. And then they finish the season on the road in Lubbock. Tech, as we talked about in the last episode, they could be fighting for bowl eligibility in year one. And while knocking off the Sooners is likely quite an ask of Texas Tech, (laughs) tell you what, night game in Lubbock on senior night could be a dangerous place to play if you're the Oklahoma Sooners. So uh, I'll I'll say the, the in stretch is really where Oklahoma is going to have to steer the ship in. I like that stretch at the end of the season, but I'm really interested to see how they go weeks three through seven, I guess, at Nebraska, Kansas State at home, at TCU, and then Texas at the Cotton Bowl. I think if they roll through that part of the schedule, I feel a lot more confident with them at the end, but... Yeah, I mean, if they pick up a loss or two in October or September, then all bets are off. I, I think that you could be looking at maybe a really tough rebuild or tough start year one for Brent Venables. Well, and even coming off, the, off that bye week, they have to go two Ames on a Thursday night. I mean, you know, I don't think any of us are high on the clones, but that could be a weird spot for them as well. So kind of a tricky schedule for the Sooners. Yeah, no, I think the issue I have with Oklahoma this year is just the variability. We don't know what they're going to look like under Brent Venables. He was a fantastic coordinator. We don't know what he's going to be like as a head coach. He'll probably do just fine. I mean, he's been able to take just about any job he wanted to, you know, for the last five or six years since Clemson really arrived on the scene. But, you know, he chooses Oklahoma. That's great. Who knows if he's going to be a good head coach? They lose their quarterbacks, multiple, plural, and they bring in a new guy. He's probably good. He'll probably be just fine. But I think there's just too many variables here that we don't really know what's coming back. And I think a lot of times what I want to look for is experience. I want to look for consistency. I want to look for programs that are building in the same direction. Uh, And I just have no idea what Oklahoma is. Now, I still think they're probably talented enough to win 10. I do have them winning 10 uh, with their two losses being to uh, the teams I pick for the championship game. But, man, I just I don't know what to expect of Oklahoma this year. 
one thing that concerns me too is if you look at their schedule last year, six and one in one possession games. And I know it's a completely different coaching staff. I know it's a completely different set of players, especially quarterback, but that usually corrects to the mean. That usually um, swings closer to the middle. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you either gotta you either gotta play fewer one possession games, or that's probably gonna swing back to average. And they do have to deal with the fact that you know they're still Oklahoma. Like when everyone plays them, they're gonna give them their best shot. You know, no chance that any of these you know good teams, talented offenses, are going into the Oklahoma game saying, "Well, it's a new coaching staff, so totally different team. Can't expect them to do the power." Like they're still Oklahoma coming to town. You're still gonna get everyone's best shot. So they have to deal with that as a compounded problem for them. So uh, I'm excited to see how it goes for them. I just have no idea what's gonna happen at Oklahoma. The Sooners last year escaped by the skin of their teeth. I mean, six and one, like you said, that doesn't even fully paint the picture. How many times, you know, you'd have a, a mid-game update, whether you're watching TV or listening on the radio. You know, I, I had to listen to a lot of. Uh, I've forgotten what the SiriusXM show is on um, on the weekends to get all the updates, but dude, it felt like every single week, it's like, Oh, Oklahoma's on upset. Watch they're They're up by three to two lane at home. Oh, Kansas has got them on the ropes. Uh, so I think there, there could be some regression to the mean, just like we talked about Nebraska being the unluckiest team in college football and the best three and nine team in, in football history. They're going to progress to the meme, I think, uh, to the mean this year. I, I think Nebraska has, or I'm sorry, Oklahoma has a real chance of seeing some of those statistical anomalies go away. And again, some of that gets maybe negated by a new scheme and completely new players. It's not like these guys have, you know, a lot of memories from from wearing, you know, Sooner colors last year. In fact, Venable said at Big Twelve Media Days. He thinks there are north of 50 guys this season that have not put on the Sooner jersey in a game, which is unreal. Way over half of your scholarship players have not suited up for you in an actual game. Uh, so big mountain to climb for Oklahoma. But then again, they are the Sooners. They're one of the greatest programs in college football history. And a wide open conference may may help them get to uh, get to the very top again. All right, so with the Sooners out of the way, we go just across the state. The owners of the Bedlam title and near owners of a Big 12 championship. Garrett, you've got the Pokes of Oklahoma State. Absolutely. Okay, so first off, I want to go ahead and shout out my little sister, Taylor, current student at Oklahoma State. Love you, Taylor. Um, but, Trey, go ahead and hit that train for me. <laughs> I am about as high as it can get on Oklahoma State this year. All right, look, let's reflect for a second. They were a lunge short of the pylon to being conference champions and possibly an outside shot at being in the playoff last year. I know Cincinnati had a great year, but you could see maybe a one-loss conference champ getting in instead. Don't know. Didn't get to have that conversation. Uh, sorry, Cowboys. I know that's probably not the way you want me to start this uh, preview, but can we just acknowledge that was a fantastic season for you guys and your program? I mean, look, you got to go through the whole thing up here in the conference championship game. You were so close to winning it. And then despite that, you still found a way to get up, play the Fiesta Bowl. You got down to Notre Dame, but you fought back and won. 
fantastic season, and it leaves you guys on a high note. Uh, Mike Gundy's getting ready for this season, and there's plenty of reason for optimism in Stillwater. Yes, lots of close calls last year, but when you look at where this team is heading into 2022, you can really see why the Pokes are primed to overcome those last couple of inches, just those last couple inches to conquer this conference. Uh, I'm going to start on offense. The offense early in the season last year really struggled with the injury bug, but they found out pretty quickly what their strengths were. Oklahoma State is a running team. Okay, last year they had 448 attempts. That led the Big 12. That's thanks in large part to Jalen Warren. He was a huge reason why they did that. They're going to look to, you know, go a couple different places to figure out how to replace that production. Uh, they're bringing in Anum transfer DeAndre Jackson. You know, he went up, maybe almost transferred in Nebraska, ended up uh, landing with Oklahoma State. He's a big body bag. He should be really good at picking up a lot of those short yarded situations. So maybe if you find yourself in the same situation, you just punch it in on first down. Um, Jaden Nixon's coming back. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, he should see a lot of the carries early on. The most intriguing back to me is true freshman Ollie Gordon. He's from Euless Trinity High School. Back the black tees up, baby. Go Trojans. That's my high school. So had to give him a shout out. Um, he was explosive in high school. I, someone who watched him in high school, he would constantly rattle off massive long run touchdowns. Trinity is a run heavy high school, so he's already dealt with big bulk carries. If he can adjust to the college game, he's going to be a very, very, very good running back for the Cowpokes. Uh, at quarterback, Spencer Sanders is coming back. He's going to be one of the most experienced signal callers in the nation. Entering year four, he's put up 6,900 passing yards, 1,500 rushing yards, 60 total touchdowns. This guy, he's a numbers machine right now. Uh, his completion percentage is a little bit low. He's right around 62% every year. No real steady progression there. Um, and he does have a tendency to turn the ball over more than you would want. I know especially against Baylor this last season, um, and the two games against them, that was where most of his turnovers came from. So you're going to want to look to see that clean up. But at the end of the day, experience matters in college football, right? In a Big 12 year where most of these likely competitors in the conference are breaking in a new quarterback, Sanders provides a huge advantage to the Cowboys just by being the guy with the experience. He's been there. He's done that. He knows what to expect, you know, on those road game tilts or in a big spot. He knows how to navigate that situation because he's been there. Um, there's going to be plenty of options at wide receiver despite losing their leader in Tay Martin. Uh, Brennan Presley likely figures to be the next top target for Gundy's offense, but true freshman Talon Shetron is creating a lot of buzz in the offseason as a guy who could burst onto the scene. Um, lots of people in Stillwater are very, very high on him. You add in guys like John Paul Richardson, Jaden Bray, uh, Bryson Green, and then there's super senior Braden Johnson. That's going to give Sanders a lot of capable targets. Uh, the offensive line does have some question marks after having to replace the all-Big 12 guard, Josh uh, Sills, uh, and their center as well. Uh, they're going to slide Cole uh, Birmingham over to guard. He played a lot of tackle last year, but he did have an injury, which is leaving his status questionable heading into fall camp. Uh, if he can't get healthy, other options include uh, Preston Wilson, Joe Michalski, uh, they both have some limited experience, not a whole lot. They're also bringing in the number two Juco offensive lineman in Tyrone Weber, uh, as well as Jason Brooks from Vandy, uh, Casey Collier from USC. So the Cowboys are going to need to get this group right in order to let some of their stars shine on offense. Uh, on defense, look, if you're going to lose a great defensive coordinator there is heading on to Ohio State, you might as well replace him with Derek Mason. Okay, he's a great DC. He inherits a great unit from last year. And he should be able to capitalize on that opportunity. Um, 
he'll be replacing a lot of production, but he should be able to keep the scheme and things like that similar so that the Cowboys are still at the top of the conference and defense. Uh, Colin Oliver is one of the best D linemen in the country. He exploded last year, 10 and a half sacks, 40 quarterback pressures as a freshman. This kid can flat out ball. Uh, he's going to attract a lot of attention from opposing offensive coordinators, and I don't think it's going to work. I think he's going to have a great season. Um, the rest of the line is stacked as well. They have guys like Big uh, All Big 12, Brock Martin. Uh, they have guys like Tyler Lacey, Trace Ford, Brendan Evers, Sione Asi, and personal name favorite, Samuela Tui Halamaka. Um, this is a very talented, very experienced group, which should help them cover some of the holes that are sort of on the back end of the defense. Um, the rest of the defense, like I just said, going to be inexperienced and young. Uh, Mason Cobb, Xavier Benson, and then Lamont Bishop are going to be guys called on at the linebacker spot to sort of replace the draft picks, Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper. Um, there's a lot of confidence in their ability, uh, but they just haven't really played all that much, uh, and they're going to have to kind of be in a wait-and-see mode to see if the linebackers can keep that level of production. Uh, there's also going to be some newcomers at the corner spot with Jabbar Muhammad, Corey Black being the favorites to win that job. Both guys played rotationally last year, but now they're going to be sort of called on to carry the majority of the work. Uh, safety Jason Taylor II is the only guy coming back as a starter among the DBs. He's going to be a huge presence to help some of those younger guys get better. Uh, you're going to look for guys like Thomas Harper, Trey Rucker to make an impact immediately. Other contributions could be coming from guys like Canyon Williams, Shawn Michael Flanagan, and then top 100 redshirt freshman Kendall Daniels. So definitely some talent there on the back end, but you're going to just have to wait and see how they adjust to the college game um, and how they adjust to being starters, given that a lot of these guys have only ever played rotationally um, and haven't had to go through like a full game yet. Um, looking at Oklahoma State, they got a floor ceiling um, situation. Their over-under is eight. I'm all aboard the hype train. To me, this is probably the easiest over to pick uh, that we've done so far. I think this team is extremely good, and it should be one of the favorites to get back into their conference championship game with an outside shot at the playoff if everything goes well for them. Right now, I haven't picked to go 11-1. and uh, I think their ceiling here is 13-0 with the conference championship and a playoff team. Um, and I think, you know, sort of a disappointing 9-3 and is the floor for these guys. Uh, looking at the danger zone for the Cal folks. They've got a tricky pair of games in the middle of the season. Week 7 and 8 have them playing Texas at home, and then they go to Manhattan, Kansas to play the Wildcats. That should be a pretty tricky pair, um, but I think they're going to be able to navigate that. They need to go 2-0 and there in order to get back to that Big 12 championship game uh, and hopefully have a chance to punch in that final touchdown this time. Man, I was looking, just perusing their schedule from last year, and holy crap, did the state of Oklahoma really like to cut it close in non-conference games. So oh, a yeah. lot of drama. Just like the Sooners, the Cowboys, you know, seven-point win against Missouri State, five-point win against Tulsa, one-point win against Boise State. And then I think I, I counted out, my math might be off, but another team that five of their wins came in one-possession games last year, so... Yeah, like you said, Spencer Sanders, he has a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. He's a solid college quarterback, but oh, yeah. he does like to make things interesting sometimes. So that's probably my only concern about Oklahoma State is 
Spencer Sanders, we kind of know what he is. We kind of know what his ceiling is. And the rest of the Big 12 kind of does too. Does that is that going to keep them out of the Big 12 championship game? Not necessarily, but they're definitely going to need um, going to need that defense to step up again, I would say, to keep them competitive and keep them um, winning those close games. Yeah, the question for me, and I have Oklahoma State going to the Big 12 championship game, is what's that defense going to do? They lost Jim Knowles. So, I mean, which you cannot understate the value that, that he's had to that, that poker program. Now, Derek Mason coming in, you know, knows how to run three three five, is done very well for himself as a DC in his own time. But, you know, Knowles, Knowles was really, really good. One of the top mm-hmm. five defensive coordinators in the country. He goes to Ohio State now. So what does that defense look like? And then, Trey, you hit the nail on the head. What version of Spencer Sanders do we get over the course of a season from game to game? You know, he's he does have a, a little bit of a history of throwing some picks. And I don't know if, as, as Oklahoma State tries to replace pieces on that offensive line, you know, we mentioned Monroe Mills left. He went to Texas Tech. As they try and re- replace pieces and, and find the right five, can they lean on that running game to give Sanders a little bit of a break to where the entire game is not on his arm? Um, you know, this is a very easy non-conference schedule, so they should have three comfy as you like warm-up games, Central Michigan, Arizona State, and then Arkansas Pine Bluff. And then a bye week, even though it's an early bye week, it might be an important one to get ready to go to Waco to play Baylor. This team, it scares me how much I like them with as many question marks as they have, especially on that defense, uh, on that defensive side of the ball. They, they, they played well on offense. It wasn't the most consistent side, but they could rely on that defense to bail them out time in, time out. And I need to see if Derek Mason is going to be able to kind of keep that that ship going. But as far as the hype train, I, I'm right there with you guys. I, I've got them um, trying to pull up the, the standings again. I, I've got them second in the Big 12 at the end of the regular season behind Baylor and, and a, a repeat of uh, the Bears and the Pokes in the conference championship game. Let's go ahead and run that drop real quick because we're all pretty high on the Pokes. Well, and if, if I may for just a moment, a, a little bit of a defense of some of the concerns that have been brought up, because I get it, they're concerns. On defense, look, Derek Mason, very good coordinator. All right, I get it. You know, you're replacing one of the best in the country, but you're replacing him with a very, very good defensive coordinator. Um, and he's not working with nothing. Like I said, their defensive line is stacked. Okay, their defensive line is going to be very good, and they're going to have no issue getting after the passer. So I'm not really concerned about that. I think they're going to be able to cover up some of the issues on the back end just by giving opposing quarterbacks no time, right? They're going to give opposing quarterbacks a lot of stress so that you know maybe they can mask some of those weaknesses on the back end. In terms of Spencer Sanders, and this is something that not a lot of people, even at Oklahoma State, agree with, I think he's a very good quarterback. In games, not against Baylor last year. He had 19 touchdowns, five interceptions. I get it. You had to play Baylor. But we've all acknowledged, even on the last episode, that was a pretty great defense for the Bears. That was a really right? solid secondary, especially. Yeah. And so not returning that, you know, I could see him going for maybe a, a, across the year, maybe like a 25 and six or seven interceptions. Or right? I could see something like that. 
with a lot better ratio there. And, and I think the big thing that's helping him, again, it's just the experience. A lot of times it just takes, you know, that last step over the offseason, right? He hasn't changed his completion percentage. He pretty much does what he does. I think a lot of that's schematic, but I do think that that's just part of who he is, right? He's going to try to air some stuff out, take some shots, and it's not always going to work out. But at the same time, he knows what to do. He knows where to go with the football. And I think that's really going to help them in some tough spots this year where you need to rely on some of your playmakers. They've got some studs on that offensive side of the ball. And it's going to take some time to break them in. But like you guys are saying, they have some time to break it in. It's not like it's a grueling, you know, really, really tough situation before they hit conference play. I mean, they've got, you know, some tune-up games that they can kind of get things right with. So, I mean, look, I know we're all high on them. I do think they have a really good shot at making the playoff this year. I really like the way their schedule sets up too. just mm-hmm. not even at the beginning, but they have some nice, they have some nice runways so they can get the plane going and take yep. off into these big games. You guys mentioned going into Baylor. They just have three Arizona state could be plucky, but I think they don't have too big of a problem with that at home. They have a bye week right before Baylor. Their only tough back to back. Like you mentioned, Garrett is the Texas and Kansas state games, but they, lead up to those with Tech and TCU, not really teams that were picking to be the top of the conference. And then before Oklahoma, they have Kansas and Iowa State. Again, teams that yep. were not really picking to be threats. So I like how that sets up. I like that and they have some point. nice get-right weeks. I'm going to say, to your point, momentum matters, especially in college football, yep. right? Especially when you talk about the difference between sort of college and the NFL a team with momentum, a team with a little bit of swag who kind of feels like they can do it, those teams are the ones that take off and have sort of unforgettable years, right? That's a lot of what this team was, was they started pretty rough last year, but started to get some swagger, started to kind of figure out like, oh, this is what we are. We're a smash mouth team. We're going to run the football. We're going to hit you in the face. I think they're going to keep a lot of that identity with a lot of the same players. And I think it's going to be another pretty freaking good year for the Cowpokes. Well, I think Oklahoma State's going to make Emory Jones and Arizona State cry in week two. Speaking speaking of (laughs) a a program that might be shedding a lot of tears, Trey, wrap the Big 12 preview up with West Virginia. All right. Well, if you're a John Denver fan, unfortunately, I don't think you need to go to uh, the Mountaineer Stadium to hear the uh hear his music be played this year i don't think they're gonna be playing it a lot after the games this year unfortunately it's a great tradition but maybe next year so we're heading into year four of the neil brown era and all four years to this uh all three years i should say up to this point have kind of been the exact same they've been fighting for bowl eligibility right at or below 500 in conference play they usually knock off somebody they probably shouldn't along the way. They usually lose to someone that they probably shouldn't along the way as well, and they end up playing in a lower-tier bowl game. So it's been a tough transition from Dana Holgerson to Neil Brown. Um, that's largely because of the offense. That, Of course, that was the calling card dating back to the days of Rich Rod, but it's been absolutely anemic since Neil Brown took over. He was hired to be an offensive guy. His offenses at Troy were really, really exciting. He's been calling the plays the first three years, but that's resulted in being peaking in the 80s in total offense. They were 87th in total offense last year. They put up more than uh, 30 points only three times against FBS competition last year. So because of that, Brown has done some soul searching. His words, not mine. And he is uh, (laughs) turning 
turning the offense over to Graham Harrell uh, to hopefully bring back the spark and uh, turning play calling duties over to him as well. Because that it's worked kind of at a shot USC, in the dark. right? Say it again. I said because that worked at USC, right? Exactly my point. It is a shot in the dark. If you are a USC Trojan fan, you're probably shaking your head at the idea of Graham Harrell being an offensive savior. But, you know, mixed results at USC. Um, I think that's a kind way of putting it. But, man, there are legit concerns around this program. Neil Brown, just to put it lightly, is talking to the media like a guy that knows he's coaching for his job this year. Um, maybe he can ease those concerns and maybe he can have a breakthrough year. Um, but I think his ability to run a major program in a power five conference is certainly a big question mark at this point. And, you know, the fact that it took him this long to fix the offense, I think is a big concern, but starting there on that side of the ball, like I said, it really hasn't been pretty since uh, Neil Brown took over in Morgantown. He was quoting the athletic as saying that, he had all he kind of blamed uh, having all of this focus on player retention and NIL um, as the reason that he wasn't able to focus on the offense. Okay, uh, but you know, that's kind of your job. And you, if you want to be held accountable for it, you're getting held accountable for it. So, um, Harold's offense was better at USC. They were 23rd in total offense last year, but that translated to just 65th in scoring. Um, one of the big question marks, of course, with that air raid style is finishing those drives. So that's going to be a big question mark. Can uh, Graham Harrell figure that out, figure out how to finish off those drives? In Morgantown, he really didn't do a good job of that in uh, L.A. at USC. So at quarterback, JT Daniels kind of surprisingly chose West Virginia um, in the middle of spring ball. He's going to take over for Jared Dagey. Um, It'll, of course, be JT Daniels' third school. He had stints at USC where he looked like he was, you know, a potential Heisman winner and a potential uh, first-round draft pick um, as a freshman there. Of course, he started the season as the starter for the Bulldogs last year in Georgia before uh, getting hurt and eventually transitioning them transitioning to Stetson Bennett. So it's a reunion with Harrell. Um, he shouldn't have a problem picking up the offense. He's got a ton of talent, but his career has just been – absolutely plagued by injuries uh he was you know seven and oh in his career as a starter at georgia i think a lot of people um forget about that and just focus on stetson bennett and him taking them over the top but i don't know like he he does have a lot of talent i think if you're looking for a bright spot on this offense it's definitely going to be jt daniels and he has a lot of potential to carry that team he has to be this bright spot though because the skill talent is absolutely depleted from last year. So three of the top five receivers are gone. Bryce Ford Wheaton and Sam James are the two that returned. They were second and third in production a year ago, but depth is a huge concern after transfers and after graduations uh, have just kind of decimated that receiver room there. You don't necessarily need the most talented receivers um, in an air raid scheme. It's more about scheming them open, but Talent and returning production definitely helps, and not having that is definitely a concern. Buddy Brown at running back was the guy that they ran their offense through the last couple of years. He was an absolute workhorse. Um, he's gone to graduation, so they're shifting to more of a committee approach at running back. That committee's probably going to be made up of Troy Mathis, Justin Johnson, and Clemson ch transfer Lynn J. Dixon. Um, I like that idea. I think 
just keeping fresh guys in the rotation will be a good idea for this team. Right spot again on offense. If you're looking for, you know, some sunshine, all five starters are back on the offensive line. So it should be the best group Neil Brown's had since he's gotten there. But goodness, they have a lot of fruit. Uh, those five guys, they tied for 111th in the nation in sacks allowed. And they really struggled to open holes for the run game. Um, you know, their run game was literally Letty Brown just making stuff happen. I think uh, the stat, I think they average first contact on their running backs or whoever was carrying the ball was about uh, one and a half yards downfield. So obviously not great uh, if you're trying to get explosive plays on the ground. So over on the defensive side of the ball, um, the biggest cause for optimism over here is uh, Dante Stills deciding to come back for his fifth year. He was getting some late round draft buzz. Um, really probably a good decision for him to come back and you know get to live that college life a little bit more and also up his draft stock. So he's third in school history in tackles for loss with uh, 43 and a half to go along with 19 career sacks. His counterpart, Akeem uh, Misador, transferred to Miami right in the middle of spring ball. So unfortunately, they're trying to plug that other hole at uh, defensive tackle. So Junior Jordan Jefferson is going to have to fill that spot. Um, Taj Alston is probably going to lead the way at defensive end, but goodness, de- defensive end and defensive line depth in general is just really, really thin for the Mountaineers. Um, rush defense could be a big concern this year. The linebacker core um, looks to be improved. Um, they really got exposed to the run game at times last year. Uh, Lance Dixon was a former top 200 recruit. He should be manning a starting spot. Um, Lee Pogba is also transferring in from a junior college. Look for those two guys to get a lot of time at linebacker. Um, but for this defense to be successful, they really need someone to step up at their bandit position. It's kind of a hybrid nickel situation. They really haven't had that so far, according to the court coaches in spring ball going into fall camp. Looks like a two-man competition uh, with Jared Bartlett and Linnell Carl, uh, Carr. Excuse me, But... Neither of those guys, the coaches have been really open. Neither of them have really proved themselves at that position. Uh, they'll also need to replace four of the five starters in the secondary. Charles Woods is the only guy coming back. Um, but they have just taken in a ton of transfers and a ton of uh, freshman recruits to hopefully fill those spots. So if I haven't painted you the picture yet. Uh, their Vegas over-under is five and a half. Um, you know, Maybe JT Daniels can electrify the offense and the defense can find some consistency and maybe they're back in the bowl game again. If not, I could really see this getting as bad as uh, three and nine or four and eight. That's going to send Neil Brown packing. I think I don't think the Mountaineer faithful are going to put up with that. They're already some rumblings going into the season. I think he's definitely on the hot seat. Um, But yeah, I, I think that five and a half is a little bit generous. I've, probably picking them to go slightly under that uh their danger zone so obviously they open up reviving the backyard brawl that's still a game i'm really excited to watch just for the rivalry element obviously anything could happen there but um and neil brown could go a lot of way a long way to building some goodwill if he somehow knocked off Pitt week one but they really have two very tough stretches uh so weeks four through seven they're at virginia tech at texas and then have a bye week before hosting the baylor bears then the end of the season goodness the schedule makers were not kind to the mountaineers uh 
last three games of the season are hosting Oklahoma, hosting Kansas State, and then traveling to Oklahoma State. So prognosis is not very good for the Mountaineers this year. Um, You know, JT Daniels, I'm really excited to see him. I, I really hope the kid can stay healthy. I really hope he can make that offense exciting to watch, but I don't know if they can stop people. And I don't know that they can keep up with the offenses in this league, even if JT Daniels is healthy and leading a mediocre to above average offense. I don't think that does it. Did you know JT has two years of eligibility left still? I read that and I was shocked. It seems like he's been here for a decade, like just around college football. I'm looking for his kid to be a a recruit relatively soon. (laughs) It feels like he's been around for an absolute lifetime. Um, So obviously our listeners wouldn't have been able to see that. So I was looking much like I did with Kansas for the transfer rankings. Uh, Trey, unless someone just forgot to update the transfer portal, Lynn J. Dixon is in the portal right now away from West Virginia. Amazing. So we like, have an update a, even from our research. So that's yeah. wow. That's one part of the committee. He, gone, trans- so he, he transferred from Clemson in November, and then this says at the very beginning of July, he's currently in the portal. So he hasn't left. He's still with the program, but technically – uh, is, is exploring other options. Well, so I can't say oh, I blame man. him. So, um, <laughs> Lin Jay, that's, that's probably not the worst decision. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, the guy shows up, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, no, I took a look around, and I would like to leave. It's like that gif of uh, um, uh, <laughs> on Community with a Childish Gambino walking in, in oh, with the yeah. pizza, and the room is just on fire. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, um, you know, the other thing that I didn't realize it was as bad as it truly was. I mean, you, you painted the picture a little bit. Three secondary transfers this offseason. Nick Troy Fortune goes to UTSA. They lose Daryl Porter, nearly a four-star to Miami. And then they lose a four-star. Jackie Matthews goes from West Virginia to Mississippi State. So, dude, their defensive line, you couldn't have painted a bleaker picture. You know, if they're giving up just anything that the opposition wants on the ground, they can't generate any pass rush, and then they, they don't have anybody returning in the secondary. Like, how is this team not going to give up 60-plus every single week? Like, somebody's got to talk me off that cliff. Yeah, I, I'm i not going to be the one to talk you off that cliff because <laughs> I, it's not a good picture. And like I said, if you listen, if you just listen to Neil Brown talk, he he knows. I, I I think he realizes that this is probably the end. And some of the things he's saying, man, like I hadn't really done a deep analysis of Neil Brown's ability to lead a program, but just from reading his quotes to the media, I I don't know how you have confidence in him if you're a Mountaineers fan. Just being brutally honest, like yeah. blaming NIL for your offense not being good enough. Like That's a tough scene. What are we What are we doing? <laughs> No, well, and the other thing about that too for Neil Brown is I think unfortunately, you know, JT Daniels is kind of the double-edged sword right here. You know, on the one hand, if you want to keep your job, you need to bring in a big quarterback to try to run this offense. On the other hand, if it doesn't go well this year, they're going to say, "Well, you brought in a big-time quarterback and you still couldn't win." You know, and I I think that doesn't help the warmth of his seat at the end of the year if they can't, you know, figure out a way to actually put together some wins and 
and maybe overachieve for a little bit. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how they navigate that. Obviously, you'd rather have the player, you know, because you'd rather save your job with a good player. But I think that's as, as, again double edged sword right here. If it doesn't work out, it's not going to look good. I don't see how Neil keeps his job at the end of this year. I, I feel like last year when they went to College Park and they lost to Maryland in that absolute lollapalooza of a game, which was a blast to watch, but but turning the football over time and time again and allowing Maryland to run the football down their throats, it, it felt like the air kind of came out of Neil Brown's balloon a little bit, and that was the first game of the season. Uh, and it was, it was downhill from there. The Mountaineers just did not improve. You, know, you lose Jarrett Daigie, who had been, for better or for worse, had been with that program for ages. <laughs> he transfers out to Western Kentucky for one one final hurrah. They're just, yeah, you lose Letty Brown, who was your offense. There's just not a lot going for the years right now. And, guys, wait until someone tells Neil Brown that Country Roads wasn't written about West Virginia. It was written about West Virginia. Shh. <laughs> you might not know what to handle uh what all to do there uh where do you guys have west virginia finishing record wise i've got them at three and nine and i I mean that's (laughs) that's as optimistic as i could be i've got them at three and nine as well yeah i found a way to get them to four and eight but Going back and looking at it, I don't remember how. So, uh, <laughs> so we may we may have to review the numbers. They could start. They could start three and one, and then literally sure. lose the rest of the games. Yeah, I think I have them starting three and one, and then I think I had them beating TCU at home. But I think that's all that I have for them. That's fair. That's fair. I, I think Virginia Tech is a big. I mean, the, I, listen, I I don't see any way on God's green earth that they beat Pitt in the backyard brawl, but it, it's a rivalry no. game. Weirder things have happened. Those records out the window, yeah, even so, if it's 0-0. So who, who, who could say about that? But, yeah, Kansas, Townsend, and I even think Virginia Tech, even though, hey, listen, Brent Pry's my guy. I, I, I see big things in the Hokies' future. Not this year. Uh, so, you know, they could they could very <laughs> easily lose uh, lose that game to West Virginia. And you've got a 3-1 and one years team going to Texas, to Austin, where they've had a little bit of success, but – I don't know that they have the horses in the back to to then compete the rest of the season. So okay, so no. if they do go three and nine and they're just mired in loss after loss after loss, does Neil Brown finish the season as the head coach, or does he get left on a tarmac in Ames, for instance? Well, the train. I don't think. Go ahead, Garrett. Personally, I don't even think if they continue to just lose a bunch of those games, I don't think he makes it off the tarmac in Lubbock. I mean, that's the trend, right? The trend is fire your coach early so you can get a head start and on recruiting. Hopefully, keep the recruiting class together. So, yeah. yep. if any other, if previous seasons are any indication, since we've gotten this new early signing day, then yeah, I don't think he makes it to the end of the season if that's the trajectory. No, well, especially like, do you even think they're going to let him sit there at the beginning of November still as the coach if he's on a massive losing streak? There's no way. You have, you know, at that point, a month and a half to finish your class before early signing day. There's no shot that he stays past Iowa State if they're on a losing streak because they're not going to beat Oklahoma, Kansas State, or Oklahoma State, especially if they're that bad at that point in the season. Yeah. Well, on that cheery note, that's the Big 12, everybody. <laughs> uh, I, I think uh, you guys can see just how wide open we expect it to be, but right in. 
find us on Twitter and Instagram at three tech pod. Let us know who your team is. If you're a big 12 footprint fan, if you are somewhere along the I 35 corridor, let us know exactly where and uh, who you've got winning the big 12. So we've previewed all the teams. Uh, now all that's left to do Trey is of course, go through the consensus rankings and the superlatives as we've been doing at the end of every conference. So as we've, hinted at this is a wide open conference all three of us gave our first place vote to a different team none of us had any teams going undefeated throughout the year so i gave my first place vote to oklahoma mitch gave his to baylor Derek gave his to oklahoma state that made our consensus ranking uh oklahoma state came on top we all three ranked them in the top two that's how they came in on top oklahoma in second kansas state in third baylor in fourth texas in fifth Texas Tech in sixth, TCU in seventh, West Virginia in eighth, Iowa State in ninth, and Kansas coming in at tenth. I, I cannot believe Baylor comes in at fourth in our rankings right now. I, maybe I am up creek without a paddle, but I, I think I think Baylor's going to finish top three for sure. Obviously, the consensus rankings can bump Baylor down a little bit more than that, just with the, the way the math adds up. But I, I love – I love what the Baylor Bears are, are doing. So we'll see. That's that's the fun of it, right? Is this conference legitimately, if Texas just achieves ex- over expectations, I mean, the Longhorns could be right there. You could legitimately have five, one of five teams win this conference this year. Half the conference is in play. Yeah. It's, yeah, totally it, agree. It's going to be exciting. All right. So we've got the consensus rankings on to superlatives to end this episode, uh, guys, as we usually do, we start with Offensive Player of the Year. You guys have the same guy selected, so I'm going to go first. I'm going to go with Bijan Robinson at Texas. You know, Trey, as I was telling uh, you guys right before uh, we hit record on this, look, if Texas doesn't go 7-5 and five or worse, it's going to be because that offense is, is willing them to victories, and I think Bijan Robinson is going to be a massive part of it. That you factor in just kind of the media's – eagerness to have Texas be back. And I think Bijan Robinson is a shoe in to be uh, in, in New York for, for the Heisman ceremony. As long as injuries don't hurt him, uh, as long as he stays on track, I really feel like that's a very, very safe bet. He's already one of the uh, top betting favorites. And I think kind of, we stay chalk uh, with that. So I'm going to say Bijan Robinson, you know, rushes for, if not a thousand yards, very, very close to it. And is your big 12 offensive player of the year. Well, that's nice of Mitch to pick the uh, second best running back in the conference. Uh, no, player of the year, in my estimation, Deuce Vaughn. I already said he's the best running back in college football. If he's going to be sitting there in Manhattan, um, New York this time, then uh, you know he's got to be the offensive player of the year in his own conference. So uh, he'll be sitting there, the Heisman finalist, and uh, yeah, he, he's going to be a very good player, very good year. He's definitely going over 1,000 rushing yards. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Garrett. I've got Deuce Vaughn barely edging out Bijan as my offensive player of the year. Yeah, win one for the short guys. Absolutely. Short kings <laughs> everywhere or should rally Absolutely. around Let's go. Deuce Vaughn. <laughs> and a local kid. A local kid as well. Yeah. Defensive player of the year. I, I may not be making the smart decision here by picking Dylan Doyle, uh, captain and inside linebacker for the Baylor Bears. He had a great season last year, and because Baylor's defense needs to replace so much, I think if Baylor does reach the ceiling that I anticipate or at least believe they're capable of reaching, 
I think Dylan Doyle is is going to be the catalyst for that. Realistically, I don't know that picking an inside linebacker to win that award is is all that realistic. But uh, hey, Dylan, you're you're number one in my heart, my friend. So I'm I'm gonna ride with Doyle from <laughs> Baylor. Yeah, I've got a Colin Oliver, the defensive end from Oklahoma State. Look, he had ten and a half sacks last year. Um, whole bunch of pressures to go along with that. I'll pick him for let's say 13, 14 sacks this year. Um, and a huge year for this guy. I'm going with Felix Enudike Uzoma, uh, the edge from Kansas State. Co-Big 12 Defensive Lineman of the Year last year. I think he's going to generate a lot of pressure. They want to use him in a lot of different ways. But, uh, yeah, I think he could rack up the sacks in Manhattan this year and be just a force on that defense. Most improved team. Trey, you go first. Garrett and I have selected uh, the same team. I'm going to go with the Texas Longhorns. I think they just kind of by default will be the most improved team uh, based on their season from a year ago. We're just taking the pure definition of who was who looked the most better from 2021 to 2022. I, I think it's got to be the Texas Longhorns at the end of the year. And Garrett, you and I have obviously selected Kansas State. No secret there that we are high on the Wildcats. I think very easily uh, they could sneak into – if everything goes right, the conference championship and, and be down here in Arlington, Texas. Championship predictions, gentlemen. Again, conference, it, it's potentially a five-team race. Uh, but at the end of the day, who are you picking to not only play in Arlington at the end of the season, but be crowned a Big 12 champ? I, I'll start off. I've got Oklahoma State knocking off Oklahoma. In my predictions, I have Oklahoma winning Bedlam on November 19th, and then Oklahoma State flipping the script, knocking off the Sooners two weeks later in Arlington. Yeah, just about going to copy that formula. I also have Oklahoma State losing Bedlam, but then making it to the championship game uh, with their one loss, as well as Kansas State with their one loss, making it to the championship game. Uh, And then Oklahoma State will finally overcome that hump and be the Big 12 champions and might just punch a ticket to the playoff. Tell you what, Kansas State being in the Big 12 championship would be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to say that 2021, unfortunately for Pope fans, does repeat itself again. I really believe in what they're doing in Waco with the football program. I think Baylor and Oklahoma State do find a way to win in the regular – or Baylor finds a way to win in the regular season over Oklahoma State. And then the Bears and Pokes rematch in Arlington. I don't think it's going to be as heartbreaking, at least for Poke fans. I hope it's not. Uh, just as, as gut-wrenching as it was last season. But uh, right now, from, from where I sit, you know, into July, I think Baylor is the best football team. To me, Oklahoma State has a few more questions than than I believe the, the Baylor Bears do, even though they've got to replace so much production. So I'll, I'll say Baylor. I don't think we have a, a Big 12 playoff team this year. You know, Trey, I think you mentioned earlier, I've got, like, three big 12 teams going 10 and two and that being the ceiling i know you guys have a couple of 11 and one teams so my final question to you is a one loss big 12 champion in the playoff this year gosh it just depends on so much nationally and i know that's a cop-out answer but i'll say unless it's oklahoma or texas i'll say no I'm going to say yes. Um, I do think that a one-loss champion of the conference would make it into the playoff, but that more has to do with how I think the ACC runs. If you all remember back to my preview, I don't think the ACC is going to be a 
uh, particularly competitive conference for the playoff this year. So, and I also don't think that you're going to get, you know, like an Alabama, Georgia, or like an Ohio State, Michigan, where they, you know, get two from the same conference. I just don't see that happening this year. Well, fair enough. Uh, I, I don't think uh, that we do get a Big Twelve team in the playoff this year, which. Honestly, I think is going to end up being one of the catalysts that, you know, as, as news continues to come out through media days, it seems like we've skipped right over an 18 playoff expansion, maybe skipped over a 12 team playoff expansion. All the headlines are about a sweet 16 format. I hate that. Um, I, I don't know why we would jump straight from four to 16, but uh, power is much higher than, than us are, are deciding that. So I, I do end up thinking, that that crowd points to the Big 12 that has some quality teams in it that year in and year out are excluded from the playoff. They were in the very first iteration of it. I think they're going to have the same thing happen this year. And uh, ultimately, I mean, I'll I'll be in a two-loss champion, at least in my predictions, not a one-loss champion like they had in 2014. Uh, But still, I think it's it's a, a key piece of evidence that that crowd will use to, say, expand the playoff and you know, and, and grow it to 16 teams. Uh, gentlemen, before we leave, any any final thoughts, any final words here on, on the Big 12, the state of college football before we wrap? It's going to be an exciting year in the Big 12, man. I love that we don't just have, like, we're not just penciling in the Oklahoma Sooners as conference champions. Sure. I absolutely love that. It feels kind of wide open, probably the most wide open league uh, in at least in, within the power five, I would say, um, where you've got like two, three, four, maybe even five teams that feel like they have a realistic shot at the title. That's exciting. That's what college football is all about. Feeling like you have a chance at the beginning of the year to make a lot of noise and make a run. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm going to go with my final word. Uh, just something that Mitch said. He said he doesn't think it'll be as heartbreaking for Oklahoma State fans this year. What are they going to miss the pylon by fewer inches? I mean, come on. There's no way it's more heartbreaking than that. <laughs> no, no, no doubt about it. Uh, thoughts and prayers to all Oklahoma State fans. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the Three Technique. Big Twelve done and dusted. We move on to the Pac-12 coming out Monday morning. That'll be a two-part episode as well before. We get into the SEC, and then eventually we'll take kind of our favorite group of five teams and package them all up into uh, an episode or two as well. So, like I said, we are officially more than halfway now through our group of five, or I'm sorry, our Power Five previews and uh, headed towards the beginning of the season, which it's it's incredible. We're, we're slowly but surely creeping closer and closer to it. Very, Almost very Saturdays, days, gentlemen. That's right. That's right. Cannot wait for it to to get started. And uh, just four more Saturdays until we are in El Paso, Texas for UNT UTEP. We've got our tickets. We're ready to go. It's going to be a blast. For Trey Reeves and for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, so long, everybody.